I'm mean, I'm fierce, I'm mad, I'm rude, I got that pro fighter attitude I'm in the octagon with the podcast on, let's talk about it on Scrattitude You know I've been the best, grab my belt and begin to flex so wild I might hit the rep, we got the winner circle segments And the two on five takeaways with Tim and Jeff So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night So you know what we have to do, whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Scrattitude So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night So you know what we have to do, whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Scrattitude, yeah Scrap, scrap What's up, everybody, and welcome to Tim Talk 282, brought to you by the Scraptitude Podcast Network. This is Timothy E. Lewis taking you coast to coast, doing the most, and I thank you for tuning in today. For those unaware of this program, we combine three key perspectives to provide you with the pinnacle of information for placing your wagers come fight night. Those three perspectives are that of the odds makers. That of the analytics, courtesy of the Scraptitude Analytics Database, and that of myself, an MMA observer for now a decade plus. As is always the case, I will review the results from the last Tim Talk 281. We hit on four of our six picks with Henato Moicano, Dan Hooker, Dustin Poirier, and Zhang Wei Li all notching victories. However, the only outcome-specific pick of the night was Dan Hooker's TKO victory over Claudio Puelas. The fights we missed on were Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pereira and the 50-year-old Frankie Edgar succumbing to first-round knockout versus Chris Gutierrez. I thought Frankie had one more in him. Unfortunately, that was not the case, and that was a hard fight to watch. We also missed out on our under 3.5 prop bet for the Pereira versus Adesanya fight. Sniffing out a finish there was keen, but unfortunately, the end result didn't fall within the time parameters. It's a mad game. That's all I have to say about it. And I hope through my delving through that UFC 281, I help provide information that you are able to leverage and strengthen your wagers and win some fucking money. Now, without further ado, let's rock and roll with UFC 282. Yo, yeah. The first fight on the docket is the action man, Chris Curtis, taking on Joaquin Buckley in the middleweight division. Currently, Chris Curtis sits as an aggregate underdog of plus 128 to the minus 155 favorite of Joaquin Buckley. That converts to a 43.9% implied likelihood of victory for Curtis to the 60.8% implied likelihood for Joaquin Buckley. This one projects to be a fan-friendly stand-and-bang affair between two guys coming off of a loss but who have won three of their last four contests. Chris Curtis is seven years the senior of Joaquin Buckley and boasts an additional 18 professional mixed martial arts fights compared to his younger contemporary. However, despite this experience gap, these two men find themselves in very similar positions just outside the top 15 looking to break their way in. On one side, we have the relentless bludgeoning style of Chris Curtis, which will find itself challenged by the explosive lethality of Joaquin Buckley. However, there is one thing that separates these two men, and that would be their durability. I've been quoted as saying durability is the best ability, and Joaquin Buckley has a 15% loss by finish rate compared to the 5% loss by finish rate of Chris Curtis. 
when we extrapolate that to the difference in the number of fights they've had, 38 for Curtis compared to 20 for Buckley, that figure stands out further. In addition to that, Joaquin Buckley has a 1.13 knockdown absorption rate, or he gets knocked down 1.13 times for every 100 significant strikes that he absorbs. That figure for Chris Curtis across his five UFC fights is zero. Joaquin Buckley has the explosive athleticism, the speed, and the highlight reel finishes that often draw the admiration of the betting community and the MMA fan base alike. However, he's going to be in there with a dogged, relentless, and durable man who isn't going to give him any breaks, and I doubt that Buckley possesses the fight IQ, uh, the ring craft, necessary to navigate about against Chris Curtis. Instead, violence will meet violence, and I expect Chris Curtis to prevail either by decision or by a late TKO. Yo, yeah. Next up, we have Billy Quarantello taking on Alex Hernandez in Hernandez's featherweight debut. Currently, Quarantello is a minus 168 favorite to the plus 137 of Alex Hernandez. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 62.7% implied likelihood of victory for Quarantillo to the 42.2% implied likelihood of victory for Alex Hernandez. Billy Quarantillo is a fan favorite, and it's not hard to see why. He's absolutely relentless, and that's no better defined than by his 9.7 significant strike differential per round. He lives and dies by the moniker, the best defense is a good offense. Hernandez on the other side, four years the junior of Quarantillo, has been a take one, give one fighter. Win a fight, lose a fight. Win a fight, lose a fight. He's always had potential. He's had athleticism, but it's generally been his arrogance, his refusal to adapt that has limited him. As mentioned previously, this is Hernandez's first step into the 145-pound division. What I expect to be a significant weight cut, and that worries me, specifically because he's going to deal with a high, motor, a high motor fighter in Quarantillo. If this weight cut doesn't go right and it compromises his endurance, he could find himself in trouble here. Simultaneously, I expect Hernandez to be the bigger and stronger fighter. He has the capacity to rely on his wrestling in spurts here and also has power that converted quite well to 155 pounds with a terrific knockout over lightweight contender Benil Dariush on his resume. There are a lot of questions here about Alexander Hernandez, and I believe that's why the odds makers are leaning towards Quarantillo. He's the more known commodity in this division, and we see an obvious path to victory. I would like to note, however, that Alexander Hernandez has faced the better competition. He did it at a division above, and he does possess the physical tools to give Billy Quarantillo problems. For me, judging this as a 60-40 fight in favor of Quarantillo is more of an indictment on Alexander Hernandez, and it's unfair to categorize him as an untalented fighter. At 30 years old, he's squarely in his prime, and while there's downside to dropping a division, there's upside as well. So I would pay close attention to how he looks in this weight cut. Keep an eye out for any information in that regard. But as I said, a 60-40 split between these two seems generous for Quarantillo. I view it closer to a 50-50 fight and would entertain a wager on Alexander Hernandez. Yo, yeah. Next up, we have the long-awaited return of Darren Till taking on 
South Africa's Still Knox Drakus Duplessis. Currently, Darren Till is a plus 147 underdog to the minus 180 favorite of Duplessis. For, in terms of percentages, that converts to a 40.5% implied likelihood of victory for Till to the 64.3% implied likelihood for Duplessis. Now, this might surprise you considering Duplessis is new to the scene, considered an upstart prospect, a blossoming fighter in this middleweight division. He is only one year the junior to the 29-year-old Darren Till. Perhaps the reason that Till is thought to be older than he is, or maybe that it surprises somebody that he's young, is that he's lost four of his last five, some of which in high-profile ways, culminating with an embarrassing Second round, sorry, third round submission loss to Derek Brunson. One of the reasons this fight is so interesting to me is that Dreykus Duplessis is all gas, no brakes. He flies at you 100 miles per hour, and while he has a versatile skill set, both the ability to knock you out and submit you, he does not have a strong wrestling pedigree, landing just 18% of his takedown attempts. So while Darren Till's takedown defense may underwhelm, as so many UK mixed martial arts fighters do, he doesn't have to deal with a substantial takedown threat from this particular opponent, despite this opponent also being a formidable grappler. So this has all the makings of a get-right fight for Darren Till. A reckless opponent who's going to run at him with his chin up and fight with volume such that Till can select his shot while also not providing the takedown threat that's going to keep Till guessing and regularly ground him. The main issue is taking Till means taking a guy who's lost four out of his last five and hasn't looked good in a fight outside of maybe that Robert Whitaker bout in a long time. Despite his age, despite being in his prime, does he really have another run left in him? Has his time spent training with Kamzat Chemaev, where he undoubtedly had to work on his grappling, or his time spent in Thailand, where some of the premier fighters in the world are training out of at this juncture. Can these influences serve as a rebirth for Darren Till? In Till's last victory against Kelvin Gastelum, we saw him skimp by, fighting more so not to lose than to obtain victory. Dreykus Duplessis, on the other hand, is going to do everything in his power to finish this one. I see a real window for Till to get back, but until he does prove that, I have to roll with the South African still knocks Dreykus Duplessis. The fourth fight on the docket is Bryce Mitchell. Yeah, I'm from Arkansas, fuck the dark and saw light at the end of the tunnel. My energy's funnel, my enemies talking, they chuckle. I don't give a fuck, ain't no need to rebuttal. A.K.A. Thug Nasty taking on Ilya Toporia. Currently, Bryce Mitchell is a plus 119 underdog to the minus 148 aggregate favorite of Ilya Toporia. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 45.7% implied likelihood of victory for Bryce Mitchell to the 59.7% implied likelihood of Ilya Toporia. There's a lot of hype surrounding both these men. Bryce Mitchell is... Something of the last of a dying breed, a true specialist, a grappling-oriented fighter who would prefer not to strike for a second of the fight if it could be avoided. Albeit, he did have some success against Edson Barbosa, thanks largely to the setup of the takedown. 
Then we have the Georgian prospect, Ilya Toporia, who has yet to face a high level of competition, but has the makings of being a fixture in this UFC featherweight division. As a Brazilian jiu-jitsu ace out of Georgia turned knockout artist, Ilya Toporia presents a whole basket of problems for a fighter like Bryce Mitchell, who, while talented, one of the better grapplers in the sport, does not have the wrestling pedigree of some other grappling greats that is going to allow him to regularly ground his opponent. Yes, he's a capable wrestler, no doubt about that, but is he of the level and of the relentlessness? Does he have the physical endurance, the tools necessary to execute his one-dimensional skill set as his level of competition climbs? The way I see it, Bryce Mitchell is going to have a difficult time taking down Ilya Toporia, who is going to have a sizable advantage in the striking facet. The low hips, grappling pedigree, and athleticism of Toporia all stand to give Bryce Mitchell problems, who despite his success, has yet to embrace a true strength and conditioning program. Both these guys are undefeated. They have to be doing something right, and Bryce Mitchell has gotten further down that undefeated path than Ilya Toporia. But there's something to be said about taking the right fights at the right time. And for me, this is a safe fight in terms of cage fights go for Ilya Toporia to take and a very dangerous bout for Bryce Mitchell to take, and I don't know that it is fully reflected in the odds. If Bryce Mitchell can get the takedown here, it bodes well for his prospects going forward. This is a division devoid of grappling specialists. However, I'm not optimistic as to his chances, and I favor Ilya Toporia heavily. I think he gets this one done by TKO. Yo, yeah. Next up, we have the co-main event of the evening. Some might call it underwhelming. Others, well, he is a fan favorite. This is Patty Pimblett taking on Jared Gordon. Currently, Patty Pimblett sits as a sizable minus 252 favorite to the plus 200 underdog of Jared Flash Gordon. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 71.6% likelihood of victory for Pimblett to a 33.3% likelihood for Jared Gordon. My perspective aligns with the odds makers here. I think that Jared Gordon is a sacrificial lamb for the marketable ascent of Patty Pimblett. He's not particularly athletic. He has shit takedown defense, and he has very little power in his hands. While Patty Pimblett is a flawed fighter, no doubt about that, you have to have the tools to exploit the flaws. And from my perspective, the UFC carefully crafted this matchup such that Patty Pimblett wasn't facing somebody that would be able to effectively stop the takedown or put mitts on his dome in a consequential fashion. Now, if Jared Gordon is going to have something to its credit, it's that he boasts a higher strength of schedule with an opponent win rate of 77% to the 66% of Patty Pimblett and an average opponent wins of 10.08 to the 8.31 for the aforementioned Pimblett. But in terms of overall MMA fights, he has just two more in his career, which is somewhat disappointing considering he is seven years the Brit senior. For me, the math pertaining to this bout is simple. Jared Gordon has a loss by finish rate of 21% and Patty Pimblett finishes 79% of his bouts. I wouldn't get too caught up in trying to be fancy, picking between a submission or a knockout result 
Traditionally, Jared Gordon has succumbed more so to the knockout, but Patty Pimblett simultaneously is more of a submission artist than a knockout artist. Regardless of how he gets it done, I see Patty Pimblett taking this tailor-made fight inside the 15-minute parameters. Yo, yeah. Next up, as legends foretold, the prince who was promised, Magomed Ankalaev finally seizes a title opportunity, taking on fan favorite, scraptitude favorite, the man endearingly known as Polish power, Jan Blachowicz. The 39-year-old Jan Blachowicz has not found title shots hard to come by in recent years, and it's no wonder why. He has aged like fine wine, seemingly getting better into the latter stretches of his career. And in his conquest to retain, rather, regain his title, he must face a formidable adversary, the 18-1, the multifaceted, the dynamic and dangerous Magomed Ankalaev. Now, this is a dangerous fight for both men, and perhaps more so than the odds makers suggest. While Jan Blahovich has a pronounced weakness, being his underwhelming wrestling acumen, something that I saw being a undoing factor in his last loss to Glover Teixeira. However, despite his extended winning streak and his overall win rate, Magomed Ankalaev has given some room for concern. At times, it appears that he has been too risk-averse, not putting his pedal to the proverbial metal, which may be responsible for the amount of time it took him to methodically work his way up through the light heavyweight rankings. We could also argue that there are durability concerns born from that risk aversion and exemplified in his getting wobbled by Kidson Abreu early in his UFC tenure, as well as getting knocked down by Tiago Santos. So can the Polish power keep this one upright and find its mark? Or will it be undone by the methodical multidimensionality of Magomed Ankalaev? While I might not be as audacious as the odds makers, I do understand what they are trying to say. Ankalaev is a guy who always finds the tool for the job and dismantles his opponent with compounding efficiency as the fight progresses. As someone who expects Magomed Ankalaev to win, the question becomes how. He has a 53% finish rate, all coming by way of knockout, but he's also proven to be risk-averse and those finishes have been harder to come by as the level of competition has ascended. Simultaneously, the UFC light heavyweight division is maybe the most finish-prone division in the sport, rivaling the heavyweights. I'm leaning Ankalaev here, but it's up to you if you believe the juice is worth the squeeze against an opponent as dangerous and experienced as Jan Blahovich. Yo, yeah. Now, my apologies. I realize I forgot to incorporate the beta one equations perspective for each fight, giving my run through. So I'll do that really quickly right now. Beta one substantially favors Chris Curtis over Joaquin Buckley. It sees Billy Quarantillo as having a slight edge, but a noticeable edge over Alexander Hernandez. It sees Darren Till as being a slight favorite to Dracus Duplessis, albeit not substantial. It has Bryce Mitchell favored over Ilya Toporia. Patty Pimblett is a slight underdog to the more experienced Jared Gordon. 
and Jan Blahovic has the highest beta one score on the card and is expected by this measure to easily defeat Magomed Ankalaev. Yo, yeah. So with that perspective in your back pocket, I wish y'all all the luck this upcoming weekend placing your wagers, and I hope you enjoy the fights. Additionally, I'm grateful for your listenership. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review this pod. We function largely on word-of-mouth marketing, so anybody you can show it to who is a like-minded individual and enjoys the sport will probably enjoy this podcast as well. But as always, it's a big-time pleasure. Thank you for listening. Be well, everybody.